come and sit on the floor. When I've finished uh, my little presentation, which is for not only for little people but for all people because we're family, if you go up the back there, there's an activity sheet and some pencils for you. There's, um, if I can have uh, the first slide, please, Mike. Uh, in the Bible, in Proverbs, it says this, My child, obey the teachings of your parents and wear their teachings as you would a lovely hat or a pretty necklace. My child, don't be tempted by sinners. Do not go along. Do you know what? It is not often, it is not often that you can think that what mummy and daddy say or what our spiritual leaders say to us is of value. But one of the translations says, where their teachings, the teachings of our parents, of our spiritual shepherds, our spiritual parents, wear them even as a nice scarf. Okay. Can I have the next slide, please, Dave? In my family, we have two Russian blue kittens. When we acquired these kittens, uh, they're really, really beautiful. When we acquired these kittens, although we chose them at a very, very young age, we were not allowed to have them until they were 12 weeks of age. The reason being is uh, there was four kittens in the litter, Sophia, Mishka and Lulu, and there was a little boy. We claimed Sophia and Mishka, and they're beautiful kittens, but we were not allowed to have them until they were 12 weeks old. The reason being is that kittens need to be nursed, nursed until they're eight weeks old. They aren't really reliable with a litter pan until 12 weeks of age. They need more time with mum so they can develop mentally and physically ready before they are ready to leave. Many kitten problems are brought about because they're taken from their parents too young. If only we could learn a few secrets from that. Okay, slide number three. Jesus, um, before Jesus went back to his mum and Mike, can I have the next one, please, mate? Before Jesus went, returned to his father, he challenged Peter to look after the sheep. The sheep were the people who put their trust in Jesus. And the words of Jesus used referred to children, to youth, and adults. All the way, also the way that Jesus instructed Peter to care for them was different for children, for youth, and adults. You just can't put them all in the same pot and stir them up and hope they're all going to turn out the same. That's not what Jesus said. I've got a video clip for you. There's not going to be any sound with it um, because the lady's voice is a little bit annoying. But this is about a puppy dog that is encouraging his partner in the family how to come down the stairs for the very, very first time. There's some life keys here. Our young ones in our family... And in the Christian faith, have different needs to grown-ups. George Barna research has discovered startling facts. Basically, by the time a child leaves primary school, one beliefs towards right and wrong are established. Personal habits, attitudes toward relationships, their physical care, citizenship, financial practices and preference to music are in place. A person's feelings to scripture and how their faith integrates into their life is also in place. In the Old Testament, Eli the prophet had two sons. 
They knew the traditions of faith and served in the temple. But these kids, Eli's sons, fell through the cracks and were a disgrace. Eli missed it as a dad and a shepherd to his family. In the New Testament, there's a success story. Timothy had a godly mum and a godly grandma who instilled the word of God into him. Because I raised a child, it helps me to understand God's Father's love to us as a father. And he wants to bless us as his children. Okay. The Father, Father God wants to extravagantly bless his children. I remember a song my grandpa used to sing. The chorus went like this. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. We should name the blessings we enjoy one by one. I encourage you to share with your family. Share with your friends what your God has done for you. It's called teaching and training. Tell your story of what your God has done for you. Share a testimony. The Bible calls it a testimony of what God has done for you. That's very, very special. May I have the next slide, please, Mike? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses made a command to the people of Israel. Moses did not get to the promised land, but he told them that God was going to bless them. In fact, God was just going to bless them with all the good stuff, more than they could imagine. But Moses threw in a warning. He said, beware lest you forget the Lord. May I encourage you also, to obey the teachings of your parents, also your spiritual parents and your shepherds. Be careful not to forget the Lord. Okay, and the last one, please, Mike. May I encourage anybody that has a heart that was touched by what I said this morning, may I encourage you to connect with Sandy Kotze in how you may be able to support kids' ministry this year. Okay, thanks, young people. If you head up the back there. There's uh, something for you. Great. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I've just got a few more announcements this morning. Uh, on the 11th of February, uh, there's an invitation for anyone to join Pastor Dean Evanson and the team at Northway Christian Church, Girouine, at 6.30pm. Uh, and come along and stay back for pizza and fellowship. Uh, so if you're interested or if you require any more information for that, please see Gary Bow after the service. Uh, we have the women's ministry. Uh, they have a PowerPoint that they, oh, they have some information for you this morning. Uh, so the women's ministry will be running a, a Bible study every week during the school term, uh, starting from Wednesday, the 6th of February, from 10 to 11 a.m. Uh, so that will be uh, held here at the church. And could you please see a Gail Road for any further information? Is Gail here this morning? I cannot see. Jason. Yes. Ah, there he is. Sorry, I <laughs> can't see for this far. Uh, please see Gail if you require any more information for that. Uh, lastly, um, who remembers Sunday Night Lights from last year? Yeah, yeah who enjoyed Sunday Night, yeah. Night Lights? Well, the good news is it starts again tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, we have special guests this, uh, this evening, actually. We have uh, Malcolm and Marjorie Smith, the founders of Teen Challenge. Uh, they both have powerful stories of what God has done in their lives, um, which they're going to be sharing tonight, 6 p.m. here at the church. For Sunday night lights, cool. So that's the uh, that's all the announcements I have for you this morning. 
Uh, so we have a guest speaker this morning, but I'd like to invite Pastor Mike uh, to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Thank you, Jason. Good morning. Uh, just a couple of quick announcements. Um, I'm wanting to uh, put on a choir. I'm going to do a series a little bit later in the year on some of the great hymns. And I want a choir to sing some of the great hymns. I'm going to join it. Because you know I can sing. Uh huh. So I'll just be moving my mouth. But if you'd like to be involved, Crystal's going to help us, Sam's going to help us as well. But we're looking for about 15 people, approximately, who can just for about a period of five weeks just give us a bit of time to learn to sing some of these great hymns. So can you see either Sam or Crystal? She's away this weekend. If you can join the choir, and we'll roll out how we're going to do practices and everything else. Also, just want to acknowledge. Uh, Rebecca's in the house. Where's Rebecca? All the way from South Australia? No, no. Well, this is a very important Rebecca. But Becky, there she is over there. Want to wave to Becky all the way from Adelaide, a survivor of cancer, an incredible girl, and uh, just an amazing story in her life. So I want to acknowledge her. Elena's turning 21 this morning again. So really good, Elena. Happy birthday. And what was the other thing I was going to say? It was very important. Um, it was so important. Yeah. Tonight, Sunday Night Lights, yeah. Um, young Marjorie uh, is an amazing survivor of melanoma. She had uh, one of the worst melanomas she can get, and she's got a great story. And Malcolm can just tell incredible stories of people that have uh, fought with drug and substance abuse and prostitutes and gangsters and things. Great couple. What I wanted to say was thank you to Matt Proudly, for all our wood chips out the front. <laughs> Anybody notice the new wood chips out the front? That's what I wanted to say. I knew it was important. There you go. So, welcome to church. Yeah. On Australia Day, we've got lots of people away and church is still full. So that's exciting and it's my great privilege today to thank our wonderful musicians, Jono, Steve and the team uh, for what they've helped us with today, Touch God, but to welcome our own very special guest, Pastor Leonard Monday. And uh, he's going to come share, so let's put our hands together. He shares the word. Oh, you've already got one. Good morning, church. Who knows you can never have too many announcements? It's true, you can never have too many. We've got a couple of other things coming up. I talked about the um, Champions of Destiny, the men's ministry. They're going to have a breakfast um, in February. But what we've also got starting up in the month of February is, month of February? Champions Equip. So we'll get more information about that next week. But basically what we're going to do is run an eight-week course. And the course is designed for people that uh, haven't been baptized yet. Um, and just take you through some theology um, and to learn why we get baptized and basic uh, foundation for our Christian life. So uh, we'll talk about more, more about that next week. Um, it's also very good if, if you want to witness to people to come along because we can give you um, information, or you can you can help learn more stuff to be able to witness to people. So we're going to talk about that next week. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is a light unto our path, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can come here, Lord, and uh, have the privilege, Lord, of, of coming around your word, Lord. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to perceive what you'd have to say to us today, Lord. As we join together, Lord, and give thanks for your word. 
This morning, I want to start off by reading this short scripture. But before I start reading that, I just need to give you a bit of background to the scripture. So the scripture is found in the book of Exodus. So if you've got your Bibles, open up the book of Exodus 34, chapter 34, verse 27. But just to give you a bit of context of what's going on. This is the story about Moses. We all know Exodus is about the, the, the children of Israel leaving Egypt and going through a whole lot of trauma and trial and tribulation till they get to the point where Moses passes away and Joshua stands on the edge of the promised land and looks towards God to say, okay, I'm ready, let's go. So this is the point of history where the children of Israel have just finished building the tabernacle of meeting. The Holy Spirit has empowered them to build these wonderful and awesome, ornate um, pieces of worship, of, of equipment that they can worship God with. And, uh, you know, these, these people were slaves. They, they built stone buildings. But somehow the Holy Spirit came and he gave them unique abilities and skills to be able to build these wonderful things. So they're, they're, they're really focusing on God. They're focusing on the worship of God. They're focusing on the meeting of God. And at this point of time, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. God gives him two tablets of stone. And God, with his very finger, etches into those bits of stone the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is incredible. Moses meets with God. And God himself, with his own finger, etches into the stone the Ten Commandments. Now, there is this awesome meeting with God happening at the top of the hill. At the bottom of the hill, it's not so awesome. At the bottom of the hill, the children of Israel, after just building all this wonderful stuff to meet with God, have decided that they want an idol to worship. So what they do is they say to uh, Aaron, who's the brother of Moses and, you know, a priest, they said, Aaron, fashion us, a, fashion us something we can worship. So he says, go and get all your earrings and the earrings of your children and sons and mothers and sisters and brothers and second aunts and third cousins. And we'll melt it down and we'll fashion this thing. So that's what Aaron did. Aaron himself fashioned this thing. It was a calf. And they started worshiping it. God says to Moses, you better go on down. You better go on down and see what's happening because I can hear something. His head's down and he hears this noise. And he realizes that it's not the noise of battle. It's not the noise of anything else. It's, it's, it's the noise of idolatry. And as he enters the camp, he takes the two stone tablets that God made and he throws them to the ground and breaks them. And he gets so angry and so upset with the people for what they've done. A short time before they were worshipping God, now they're worshipping a golden calf. Uh, what I find amazing is Aaron's response. We just threw it in the fire and out it popped. That's what he said. I mean, he didn't want to take the blame. He didn't want to be the fool man. So he just said, well, you know, I got these earrings, got the gold, we chucked them in the fire, and voila, this golden calf came out. So what else could we do but worship him? Anyway, the story goes on, and they separate the meeting place then from the, the people of Israel to outside the camp, and some other things happen. And God calls Moses back up the mountain. And that's where we pick this up. Verse 34, 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. This, to me, is one of the saddest points of history. Instead of God writing it down, Moses wrote it down. Instead of God taking his finger and etching it into that stone, Moses had to do it. That's sad. That's very sad. Because of the sin and the 
idolatry of the people of Israel. God's just a little bit further away in my eyes. He's just stepped back one step. Or they've stepped away one step. But for this period of time, Moses had to write it down. Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and for 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from the Mount of Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, he was not aware of his face, which was radiant. He had spoken with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. And he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near to him. And he gave them all the commandments that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak to the Lord again. Moses shone forth the glory of the Lord. It was in his face. It was shining. And the people couldn't deal with it. The people couldn't cope with the presence of God. So what they did was they veiled his face. Again, this separation between God and man. The the, the children of Israel should have embraced Moses. They should have jumped on board and said, here's the glory. This is what we've been looking for. This is what we've been searching for. Come on in. Instead, they backed away. Instead, they stepped back and they said, put a veil over your face. We can't handle this. We can't handle the presence of God. What a sad, sad point of history. Moses came down, his face shone. And each time you met with God, his face shone again. Because of the glory of the Lord. Now quickly jump to 2 Corinthians 3, 7, 11. And this is Paul talking. And he says this. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in the letters on the stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory... Fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory. Now in comparison to the surpassing glory, and if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory which lasts? Today I want to talk to you about the glory of God. Today, I want to talk to you about the shining glory of God. We interpret that by revival. You know, you see God fall in a certain place at a certain time. The day of Pentecost is a classic one. God came and he touched man. Jesus died on the cross, so now there's no separation between man and God. There's an open door. Jesus is that open door. And what that open door has allowed, it has allowed for the glory of God to shine in the hearts and lights of men. And here, in this passage of Scripture, we see the difference between the glory that Moses displayed and the glory that we should display. His was ever fading. How should be everlasting. He covered his face. We never cover our faces. We want people to see this glory. We want people to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. 
We want, Jesus, we want people to see that Jesus is the answer. And through revivals, this has happened throughout generations. Azusa Street, Pensacola, the Great Awakening. All of these point to God touching man and man touching God. And the glory of God shined in those areas. For me, the greatest, one of the greatest revivals is the Welsh Revival. It was absolutely incredible. It lasted a very short period of time, but it changed the very world, at least in Wales and England and all those areas. I was lucky to learn about this from a Welshman. And that was a privilege I had. The Welsh Revival went from 1904 to 1905, and mostly in the south of Wales. Most historians will tell you Evan Roberts was the key to the Welsh Revival. Now, he prayed at the beginning of the revival that he wanted to see 100,000 people saved to Jesus. And within the very short period of time, one to two years, two, a bit over two years, he saw exactly that. They count exactly 100,000 people saved and added to the church. Imagine if he would have said, I want a million. Imagine if he would have said, I want two million. I mean, God gave what he asked, didn't he? The Bible tells us, ask and you shall receive. He asked for 100,000, he got 100,000. I hope our vision's a bit greater and grander than that. You ask for something, God will always give it to you. Challenge for us is to know what to ask for, amen? That's the challenge. There's numerous stories that center around this revival. It said that during the revival, there was no murder, no violent crime, no thefts, and more than 50% of all policemen lost their jobs. There's a story that during the revival, more than 70% of all taverns, pubs closed down. Just didn't cease to operate anymore. They shut them down. There's stories that some of the mines almost had to close down because the ponies that carried the coal on their back didn't understand what the miners were saying anymore because they stopped swearing. And they did not have a clue what they were saying, so they had to retrain the ponies. So there was this loss of production. I mean, these, these people that had gotten saved had gone out to work like normal. You know, they, they knew they had to do that. But when they got there, instead of saying beep, 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 they were saying, come on, honey, let's take the coal up. And the, the poor old pony just sits there. And what are you talking about? So what they had to do is they had to retrain them. But out of all the stories around this revival, let me tell you another story. There's a... There's a Statistical fact we read that says 100,000 people got saved. The statistical fact says that 98% of all those people who got saved stayed saved until they died. I mean, these 100,000 people just didn't join the church and leave next week. They didn't join the church and leave when the going got tough. They joined the church and stayed in there until they died. That is a true revival, isn't it? They seen God. They touched God. They seen the glory of God. They seen something that had held them in that arm of God for the rest of their lives. That's what they saw. That's what they touched. This revival touched them in such a way that they couldn't help but worship God anymore. They couldn't help but stay there through the hardship, through the troubles, through the times that they had and worship the living God. I wonder what would have happened. I wonder what would have happened if Evan would have asked for more. One of the greatest stories in my heart 
that's been preached to me. I've heard one of the stories. I've read one of the other stories. Two stories. They touched my heart in a way that at first I didn't understand what it was. I couldn't understand it. My mind couldn't grab hold of it. There's a story of an atheist journalist. And this atheist journalist decides that he's going to get on a train and go to Locha. Now, I'm assured that that's the way you say it in Welsh. Locha. It's not the way you say it in English because it's a, it's a little bit longer. But in Welsh, they assure me that's the way you say it. So he's decided to go check this out. He's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't believe in anything. All he believes is that God does not exist. So he jumps in the train. And the train starts heading toward Locha. And as the train gets closer and closer and closer to the city limits, he hears this noise. And he's at the back of the train. And he hears this noise. And he's wondering what it is. And then all of a sudden, the front of the train hits the city limits of Lockhart. And everyone in the front of the train falls to their knees and weeps in repentance. He hears this noise. He, can't, he thinks someone's killing people in there. So he races sort of through the, through the carts as quick as he can because this noise is in the middle. It's in the front of the cart. It's heard all the way at the back. And he is running towards this noise. Well, really, he's running to the glory of God. And he doesn't know it yet because the city limit's here and he's running towards it. When he hit that city limit, he fell to his knees. He repented and he cried and asked God into his life. That's a true story. When the glory of God falls, even the hardest of hearts cannot resist God. The hardest of hearts cannot resist God because God touches the very heart, sinew and soul of man. He touches it like it's never been touched before. And that's what happened on this train. Another story is that a, uh, a rich woman and her entourage wanted to go to Lockhart. And they're at the train station in the city of Swansea. And they said, well, how do we get there? And the conductor just said, it's simple. You'll feel it on the train. Get on the train and you'll feel it. He says, we send trains there full of people and they come back empty. You'll feel it on the train. I wonder if this is where the term the glory train comes from. These people rode into this city of God that had been in revival. And God visited that train. It became the glory train. It became the train where men and women that didn't know, want or believe in God found him nonetheless. It's the train where hardened Coal miners from all over the south of Wales traveled and changed in the blink of an eye. It's the train where the presence and the glory of God fell on the people, whether they wanted it or not. What an incredible story. What an incredible train. The train for glory. Now, my word, my word and my Bible tells me this. He can do exceedingly above and beyond all we can dream and imagine. What if the train from Perth to Armadale was the same? As soon as it got to the city of Armadale limits, as soon as it got to the city of Armadale, the limits on the outside there where it comes from, Kelmscott to Armadale, whatever it is, the Gosnells to Armadale, isn't it? They're the cities, aren't they? As soon as it goes from the city of Gosnells to the city of Armadale, God falls in the train. I mean, how many trains travel up and down that thing every day? Hundreds. Imagine that. Imagine God doing that. And my word says that he can do exceedingly above all you can think of and imagine. 
So if you can imagine that, God can do more. Amen? God can do even more than that. He can make that train the glory train. He can. Now let's go to uh, verse 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. It says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed through His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Another passage says that we get transformed from glory to glory in ever-increasing glory. There is this process that we go through where we are supposed to shine forth the glory of God. Another passage of Scripture says we're meant to shine like stars in the universe of darkness. That is what we're meant to do and be. And through points of history, it's happened. Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, Pentecost, the Great Awakening. One of the most amazing things that happened during that Welsh Revival is they didn't preach. Evan Roberts hardly ever preached. They started the meeting, they started singing, and the glory of God fell. They didn't get a chance to preach. The glory of God fell so hard and so fast that all Evan could do was keep up praying for the people. And he had a whole lot of people helping him. He had his sister and his brother Steve and a whole lot of other people helping him. But when that glory fell, when the glory of God fell in that church, they fit 2,000 people in the meeting hall. And they say that the line went forever outside to try and get in. People would go to the windows and, and try and listen in. Because they wanted God. They were hungry for God. Now, this is a, a city that just a year before didn't even know there was a God, most of them. But God's glory shone in that place. I believe God's glory can shine here. Amen. The glory train was an amazing trip. As it got closer and closer to the town, tears of repentance, tears of joy. Oh, the glory train. What a ride. Sometimes I think I was born in the wrong year of history. I would have loved to have gone on that train. I would have absolutely loved it. I would have loved to have been in the day of Pentecost. I would have loved to have been there in the, in the awakening. Oh, it would have been awesome. But then my mind grabs hold of me and says, well, why can't God do that here? And then my mind grabs hold of me again and says, what are you talking about? Gives me a little slap. God can do that here. There is nothing to stop him doing that here. He wants to do that here. Philippians 2, 14, 15 tells us this. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without folding a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Oh, the glory train. God wants us to ride the glory train. We might not get on a physical train. Now, I'm not saying that we need to, you know, all jump on a plane and go over to the south of Wales and find the train to Lockhart and jump on there and hope God emulates the same thing. God can do it here. The glory train. The train where we cease to see ourselves and we see God. The train where we cease to see ourselves and we see others. The train where we shine forth the presence of God. You know, the Bible says in, in Corinthians, we, talk, we read about earlier, Moses had to wear this um, veil because the people didn't want to see the glory of God. And, and in 2 Corinthians, it says that ever since then, Every time the Old Testament spoken to the Jews, a veil's over their heart. And they don't see the truth about Jesus. 
If you want to know why they killed Jesus, that's the reason. Jesus came and they didn't recognize him. Why? Because that veil was over their hearts. They didn't see him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand him. Why? Because they didn't want to see the glory of God. All those years ago. My heart is that we see the glory of God in this place. My heart is that God will come and he will touch our lives in a way we've never known before. God wants the glory train to visit us, I'm sure of it. And he wants us with unveiled faces to reflect that glory. I believe most of us want revival. We pray for it, we cry for it. From the depths of our soul, we plead for it. Let me tell you one thing this morning. Jesus wants revival that much that he died for it. No matter how much you want it, he wants it more. No matter how much you shed tears over it, he has shed more. No matter how much you feel anguished about it, he anguished more. Jesus wants revival more than we do. While Evan Roberts is recognized as the leader in the Welsh revival, the truth is that a lot of people were involved. He was influenced by a man named Seth Joshua, and Roberts' brother and sister were involved. I want to read an account of Evan Roberts' journey to revival. But I just want to give you a bit of background first. When he was 26, he started studying. He worked in the mines. He was 26-year-old. He came out of the mines. He'd been working in it since he was a young lad. And he went off to study. And as he started studying, they, uh, they brought a preacher into the, to the school. And he sat there and listened to the preacher. And the preacher's name was Seth Joshua. And he came to preach at the school. And Evans and his brother and a small group of students were so touched by God that they decided to follow the preacher. He was preaching in another town the next day and they left their school and they got in a bus, or not bus, sorry, in their bus in those days. They ran. No, I don't know how they got there. They traveled. And as they traveled, they sang this. It's coming, it's coming. The power of the Holy Ghost. I receive it. I receive it. The power of the Holy Ghost. That's what they sang all the way there. It's coming, it's coming. The power of the Holy Ghost. I receive it, I receive it. The power of the Holy Ghost. After the first early morning meeting, Seth Joshua prayed and asked God to do one thing. He asked God to bend them. This prayer became Robert's prayer in a powerful way. Now he prayed, bend me, Lord. With all his heart, he prayed it. Soon this would become the prayer of a nation. In the next morning, even Evans fell on his knees and lay prostrate asking God for one thing. Bend me, bend me, bend me. He was sweating profusely as he, as he travailed in prayer and groaned in his spirit. That day he died and he became a new man, another man. It was a vital baptism of fire in which God did bend him. These meetings continued for several days with young friends having similar experiences. And Evan now given over to prayer for a spiritual awakening. And that's how it started. Robert was changed that day. The cry of his heart was, bend the church and save the world. They said it all the time. Bend the church and save the world. Bend the church and save the world. Bend the church and save the world. Revival has to start in the church. It can't start anywhere else. It has to start in the church. If we're going to reflect the glory of God, we've got to have God. Amen? So it has to start in the church. Are you ready for revival? I know that God is. 
I know he is. I know that revival's possible in this city, in this church. And I know that this is the time for us to do it. It is simply the church going from glory to glory and ever increasing glory so that the world would see Jesus and be moved by the power of his Holy Spirit. Let me give you some steps for revival. You ready? This is going to go very fast. There's three steps. It's going very fast, okay? Step for revival is this. The genesis of revival is with the people of God. That's where it has to start. When we need to hunger after the presence of God. Sorry, we need to hunger after the presence of God. We need to shine forth his glory to a lost and dying world. We need to humble ourselves and pray. And as Evan Roberts prayed, we need God to bend the church and save the world. That's what we need. The essence of revival. Number two, the essence of revival is the presence of God. You can't have revival without God being there because we can't shine God's glory without God. Amen. So that's what we need. The essence of revival is the presence of God. It is the presence of God that makes the difference. It is the relationship with Jesus that holds us firm. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that ignites a soul. It's coming. It's coming. The power of the Holy Spirit. I receive it. I receive it. The power of the Holy Ghost. And the zenith of revival is freedom. It is for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. Those as the Son sets free is free indeed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In Jesus and through Jesus, faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This morning I've got a question for you. Are you ready for the glory train? Are you ready for the glory train? It's not going to be easy. It's going to mean we need to sacrifice a lot. It's going to mean we need to give of ourselves, our time, our talents, everything that we've got. When Evan Roberts was touched by God that day, his life changed forevermore. He stopped studying. He went back to Locker, and he seen God save 100,000 men and women. It cost him. People ridiculed him. People made fun of him. But in a very short period of time, God shone. The glory of God was seen in that city. Are you ready to get on the glory train here in this city, in Armadale? Because I can hear it coming. I can hear it coming. It's coming. It's coming. I receive it. I receive it. The power of the Holy Ghost is coming. I receive it, I receive it, the power of the Holy Ghost. This nation has always had prophecies spoken over it about a great revival coming from here. The Spaniard explorer Pedro Fernandez de Quiz called Australia the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Smith Wiggleworth prophesied that in the beginning of the 20th century that God would shake Australia and New Zealand and the islands of the South Pacific with a mighty move of the Holy Spirit and the world, and, and, sorry, and that would spread throughout the whole world starting from Australia. And the truth is that in the, history of the tr- in the history of this church, in this place, prophecy after prophecy has been spoken that this church is going to touch the world. This church is going to ride the glory train. Now, I don't claim to be a prophet. I don't claim to even be the son of a prophet. But I can hear the train coming. It's just around the bend. 
I can sense the Spirit of God calling the church. God wants to bend the church and save the world. We live in a nation that's so blessed and so privileged. But Jesus wants more. He wants the men and women of God in this nation, in this city, dare to say, in this church, to shine His glory with unveiled faces so the world may know that He lives. This morning, do you hear the glory train? Are you willing to climb aboard? Will you bend so that the world can be saved? If that's you this morning, I just want you to stand with me and we're going to pray together. If you can hear the train coming, if you know that Jesus wants this church to shine forth his glory, if you know that God wants to use us to to show his power and his might in this city, stand with me and we'll pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for these men and women of faith that have stood this morning, Lord. And Lord, we say, here we are, Lord, use us. Here we are, Lord, use us. Let the glory train come, Lord. Allow us to ride on that train, Lord. Allow us, Lord, to shine forth your glory. So this nation and the nations beyond can see that you live, Lord. They can know your power and your strength and your might and your love, your grace, your mercy, your peace, Lord. Let us, Lord, be temples, living sacrifices, Lord. That will see your glory shine in this place, Lord. Let us be living sacrifices, Lord. Let us, Lord, bend us, Lord, and save the world we ask. Bend us, Lord. Bend us, Lord. We no longer want to be people that think they know everything, Lord. We no longer want to be people that rely on our own strength, ability, Lord. Rely on our own initiative, Lord. Lord, we want you. We want you, Lord, more than anything. We want to see your power come in this place, Lord. We want to see the Holy Spirit, Lord, come in a new way, in a powerful way, Lord, that is going to see this nation, Lord, touched by the very presence of the living God. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Here we are, Lord. Use us. Amen. Yeah, what a stirring sermon, eh? Fantastic. Lord, let it be. Work something in our hearts. The eyes of the Lord look to and fro upon the face of the earth, seeking those whose hearts are towards him. Lord, if you're looking for a place today, Lord, we're saying we're here. Use us. Lord, we are available. Lord, we're not much, but we are available. Lord, uh, we do ask that you would just move and fulfill your will in this place we ask it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. just want to take a few moments today just to talk to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, uh, you know, the most important decision we'll all make one day is uh, whether we believe God's for real or not for real. And it's a fork in the road. Just not in time, but 
also for life, for family. And often when we think about believing in things in this Western world, believing is either believing a feeling or believing an idea. You know, do you believe in, I don't know, politics? <laughs> do you believe in education? It's believing an idea. Or sometimes believing a feeling. You know, I feel really good. Uh, you know, I love my ice cream. I feel good about that, so I believe in ice cream. I certainly believe in coffee. But believing in God is not that. You understand that? Some people think that believing in God is believing in an idea. God is not an idea. Some people think that believing God is believing a feeling. He makes me feel good or I'm feeling bad. He's going to make me feel clean. Believing in God is believing in a person. A person. It's not an idea. I want to tell you the idea of my wife and my wife as a person are two different things. One's a person. And yes, God is a personal being. He's supernatural. He's infinite. And in fact, because He's infinite, our language fails to describe who God is. Most of what we use to describe the nature of God are actually what He's not. He's not finite. He's not comprehensible. He's not weak. He is, we actually have to say, He's not these things. Because he's actually more than all that. But he's a person. And you can meet a person, can't you? You know, if I was to say to you after the service, please come and say hello to me and the team in the welcome lounge and come meet me as a person. If you walk in there and I'm not there, uh, you know you haven't met me. You could put a nice picture of me there. Well, that might be a bigger challenge, but you could put a picture in there. Picture's not the same. You know when you've met a person. Amen? And this is the great invitation of the gospel, the good news. Is that if your eyes are open through insight, illumination, and if your heart is open, you can meet a person. And his name is Jesus. And he's the Son of God. And you can know him better than you know the person sitting next to you right now. Now, can anybody say that's their experience here? Can anybody say, Pastor, you've just told, told the truth? Now, I didn't pay you any money, did I? You're actually saying, for you, what I've just said is real. That this person called God is more real to you than perhaps the person sitting here. Can, can you say that's true for you? Is there anybody here? Well, there's a few of you. <laughs> there's a few of you. It's true, isn't it? So here's the deal. You are created by a loving God and to be here today you've been born once to get this amazing body that we have we've been born into this world by flesh and by blood by parents the Bible says in order for us to get to the next dimension heaven we have to be born again something on the inside has to change and what God says I'm prepared to do that for you today if you'll put faith in me come into relationship with me 
It's an invitation to friendship. It's an invitation to join God's family. Not church, but to enjoy to join God's family. What a wonderful opportunity. What an incredible deal. And you have to give up your shame for his respect. Give up your sickness for his healing. To give up your failure and your stuff-ups for his success. To give up your guilt for his righteousness. What a deal. What an incredible opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. So look, I don't know everyone here today. We might have some visitors here. But just a moment of quietness. We're not asking you to join a church. We're not asking you to fill in a card. None of that sort of stuff. I'm wanting to introduce you to my best friend. And his name is Jesus. He has never let me down. He has never failed me. Sometimes he's confused me. Sometimes we fight. But he's my best friend. And he's for real. So why don't you just bow your heads right now. Just a moment of privacy. No one looking around. This is really just between you and God. We're not going to call you out the front. We're not here to embarrass anybody here today. But we do believe that Jesus loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If that's you this morning and you'd like to say, Pastor, yeah, that's me. Um, Can you do something incredibly courageous? Just slip your hand straight up in the air. I'll see that. It's important that you acknowledge that that's happening in your heart. And I'll pray with you that you will receive that introduction to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I'm just going to give you a few short moments to think about that. And uh, while you're thinking about that, I'm just going to scan the audience. And if that's you today, I'm going to ask that you're going to be brave enough and courageous enough just to raise your hand. Is there someone here this morning? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? that I might be introduced to the Lord of life, to the Prince of Peace, to the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ. Fantastic. Well, Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to gather around your word today. And Lord, I pray that there would be spiritual impact, Lord, that would last in our lives both in time and eternity. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it's time for a happy song. I've been getting a few few options, but I think it's a happy day today. <laughs> We're going to do some more. So it's your fault. We're getting some feedback, but if you uh, otherwise... The other one I really like is the old standard. I went to the enemy's camp. That's a great old standard. Bit of country and western in the same song. <laughs> But we will do, it's a good day. Hey, we have a prayer team here, so before you go, please come forward. And really important that uh, if you've got any needs in your life, we're here to pray and see miracles on your life. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Let's put our hands together for Pastor Leonard for that great word. God bless you. Fantastic. Let's stand and rejoice and be happy. Sing the greatest day. The greatest day in history. Jesus has been and you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is there. The empty
empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sins away. Jesus, you are mine. And it's joy and perfect peace. Earthly pain finally will cease. Celebrate, Jesus is alive. He's alive. Yes. And oh, happy day, happy day. You wash my sins away. Oh, happy day. Thank you. 